Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Mighty Blaze podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Blanchett. A Mighty Blaze was created in 2020 as a way to keep readers and authors connected during quarantine. Since then, the initiative has grown to include more than 30 volunteers, from producers to hosts and schedulers, all working together to create live-streamed interviews with new and established writers of every stripe. In today's episode, a Mighty Blaze co-founder and best-selling novelist, Caroline Levitt, talks with the dynamic duo, husband and wife team of Anne Hood and Michael Ruhlman. Anne is the author of 10 novels, four memoirs, and many more collections, including titles like The Red Thread, Comfort, and Morningstar, just to name a few. Her husband, Michael, is a world-renowned chef, as well as an author of novellas, nonfiction books, and nine best-selling cookbooks, including Ratio, From Scratch, and Ruleman's 20. The three writers met up on Zoom one sunny afternoon to talk about origin stories, writing, and of course, food, food, food. So settle in and enjoy the conversation as I pass the blaze torch to Caroline and her twice as nice celebrity guests, Anne Hood and Michael Ruhlman. I'm Caroline Levitt. I'm the co-founder of A Mighty Blaze. And we have the wonderful Tom Shampoo is doing the uh, technical stuff. And best of all, we have Anne Hood and her husband, Michael Ruhlman. And I'm absolutely thrilled to have them. So I have an introduction first, and then we're going to get them talking and talking about food and stories. Okay, I have three Anne Hood stories to tell. But first, I have to give her incredible bio. And if I leave anything out, Anne, you just tell oh, us. No. Okay. Anne Hood is the New York Times bestselling author of 14 novels, four memoirs, a short story collection, a 10-book series for middle readers, and one young adult novel. Her essays and short stories have appeared in many journals, magazines, and anthologies, including Modern Love, The Paris Review, Plowshares, and Tin House. Her most recent work is Kitchen Yarns, which was a People Magazine Book of the Week, a Washington Post top 10 books for December, uh, BBC top 10 books for December too, and an Amazon Beck's cookbook for December. It's also a New York Times editor's pick. Anne also teaches and she's the creator of the Newport MFA in writing, which has an optional semester in Havana, Cuba. <laughs> and she's also the creator of Gracie Bell Books, an imprint about grief, loss and recovery named after her daughter. Um, Anne and I share the same agent, and I'm thrilled to be your friends. So here come the Anne Hood stories. Okay, first story. Uh -oh. okay. I was really, really, <laughs> no, no, no. I was really, really young and sitting in an airport waiting for a plane to go back to school. And the stewardess walked, and I'm reading, I still remember the book, it was Jill Johnston, some book, and I'm just reading it. Nobody's paying attention to me. All of a sudden, this 
airline stewardess walks by and absolutely gorgeous in these gorgeous brown boots. And she looks at me and says, oh, what are you reading? And we had a great conversation. And I remembered that. And I remember when she left, I thought, oh, that woman is so cool. I hope she's the person on my flight. And she wasn't. But I remember when Anne's book came out and I heard that she had been a flight attendant, I thought, I bet that was you. So even if it's not, I'm still going to say it was. What airport were you in? Um, it could have been, I bounced around colleges. It could have been in Madison. It could have been in our Detroit, could have been in New York and it could have been in Boston. I did. <laughs> so, I was in most of those airports. So yeah, that, so, let's say it was. Let's say it was. I want to say it was. Okay. Second Anhood story. Uh, Tucson Book Festival. Um, I can go with the flu while I was there and I wasn't sure what to do. And all of a sudden here's this presence. And it's Anne Hood going through her pocketbook, giving me emergency and <laughs> tissues and everything else I needed and saved my life. And the last part, which is totally hilarious, you know this story. <laughs> we were both at the Pulpwood Queens Book Festival where the authors have to dress up. And this time you had to wear khaki pants, which looks horrific on anybody. No matter what your body type is, khaki pants make you look like a whale. Yep. And uh, baseball caps. And we hung out, we hung out there. And it was it was so much fun to share those khaki pants with me. And I was hoping they were gonna re-wear them for today. But <laughs> our go-to email thing, like, do we have to wear khaki pants if we do this? Do we have to do this? <laughs> We have to dress like that. Okay, so now we're turning to her husband. And um, as soon as I do your introduction, I'm going to ask you about your origin story because it's so enchanting. Michael Ruhlman is a writer, author, chef. And his list of books, I counted 26 of them, reads like a fascinating novel in itself. Starting in 1996 with Boys Themselves, going on to The Soul of the Shot, House, a memoir, the book of Schmaltz, which I as a nice Jewish girl love, which is a love story of a forgotten fat. Uh, <laughs> three novellas, the elements of cooking, live to cook, how to saute, how to braise, from scratch. Um, he's also the author of critically acclaimed books, including Grocery, The Soul of Chef, The Elements of Cooking, Ratio, and Ruhlman's 20. He's collaborated on several best-selling cookbooks, including the French Laundry Cookbook, Bouchon, and Alinea. He, um, that's it. So the first question I want to ask, because it's so enchanting, is your origin story, how you met and then went off on different lives and then came back together. Uh, well, it begins with me because she didn't remember our first meeting. Uh, I was a I was a 25 year old aspiring novelist, um, and I had gotten a scholarship to Breadloaf Writers Conference in Vermont, and I was ingratiating myself um, uh, with as many um, successful novelists as possible and getting to know them and, and just meeting them. Um, but there was one that I really wanted to meet, and it was Anne Hood. Um, I don't know why this was so. Huh. Um, <laughs> Well, you were walking. Well, I think she was walking with other fine novelists, Helen Shulman and Jenny Egan. And for some reason, I called out to her. I said, Miss Hood. And she turned around and I said, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Michael Rollman. And she says, What do you want to do? And I said, I want to, I want to write fiction. And she looked at me and said, You will. <laughs> she, turned, she turned around and walked away, and I didn't see her again for 20 years. That's incredible. That's incredible. I love that part of the story. <laughs> and 20 years later, when he did see me, this is the one I really remember. 
Okay. There was like a weekend writers conference in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where he was living. And I went with my friend Polly, who lived in Cleveland, and was sort of thinking about maybe I want to write. She was kind of at that point in her life with what do I do now? Um, and I was one of the teachers, speakers, whatever, but Michael was the keynote speaker. And so when he walked in, I mean, I had no clue who he was, even though he'd had all these best-selling books and was on TV, but I had not not a clue. And he walked in and I said to Polly, who's that guy? He's so cute. And Polly <laughs> looked and said, well, I don't know. And then he <laughs> gets up to the podium and he's the speaker. And he says, hi, you know, I'm Michael Ruhlman. I just have to say, um, what did you say? Say it, I say said, it better because you said it. <laughs> I, said it. I, I look at the odds and I say, Anne, she's sitting in the fourth row. And I say, she doesn't know this, but I've been in love with Anne Hood for 20 years. <gasps> oh my God, I love this I love part the, of the story. I love this story. <laughs> we met. And then Polly, my friend looks at me and goes, the cute guy's in love with you. <laughs> oh my God. But we were both married at the time. So it took many years before those marriages fell apart and we remet. Thanks to the wonderful publicist at, um, not exactly, yeah. yeah. Thanks to Aaron Lovett at, at Norton. But we kept bumping into each other, so. And it turned out we had um, um, oh, apartments yeah. in New York City, uh, one block. That's incredible. That's incredible. That's New York. That's really unbelievable. That's Around incredible. Around the corner, literally. He's, he was on West 12th, and I was on Bethune, and we shared the same D'Agostino's right there. Yeah. That's incredible. That's that's like the best the best story ever. Okay. So, I want to know like you both love food. I know and you come from an Italian family and there's a lot of food in your books, like kitchen stories all that stuff. And Michael obviously you, you love food. So, I wanted to ask like and did you learn anything what did you learn about food from Michael? And Michael, what did you learn about writing? He's learned exactly nothing from me. Nothing. <laughs> She follows no advice whatsoever. <laughs> Do you give her advice? Do you give her advice on cooking? I, I've stopped. I long ago stopped. <laughs> this John Sebastian story. Yeah. That's really yeah. funny. So, so, so we are friends. Um, we have friends in Woodstock, New York. Um, Catherine and John Sebastian. He was one of the love and spoonful. Like <gasps> that John Sebastian. I heard that name and I perked up. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. Sebastian. And they're dear friends of mine who are now Michael's friends too. And John is a great cook. He lived in Italy um, as a younger guy and he makes amazing Italian food. So we were going to stay there and usually he makes quite a feast, you know, and we, you know, I chip in a little or whatever, but Michael was working on his book from scratch, his new book. And he wanted to make a Rhode Island um, specialty called stuffies, which are stuffed quahogs, which are okay. super big clams. And so I asked Catherine, or he asked Catherine, John's wife, um, is it okay to, if, if Michael makes these? She goes, yeah, I think it's okay if Michael Roman cooks. You know, I think that's fine. We can do that. <laughs> so somehow from that evolved, everybody was going to make a dish. And so my, I decided I was going to make a pasta with sausage and um, broccoli rabi, which is one of my favorite things. It must have been like autumn because that's when I usually make mm -hmm. those, but I don't know. So Michael's doing his stuffies and John is doing his thing and I'm doing my thing. And Michael comes over with like a chef's knife with chopped onions, like on the blade. And he's like, right. I don't need these. So I'll put them in here in my dish. In the sausage. Right. Oh, you must have gotten crazy, I bet, right? <laughs> I said, no, that doesn't go in this. And he said, why not? <laughs> and I said, Italy, <laughs> not put onions in this dish. 
that would, the line was drawn. It would have been better, but I. Oh! I, I <laughs> yes, that is so funny. That is so funny. So, um, what's the worst? What's the worst writing and, and cooking advice you've both gotten? Not necessarily from each other, but no. in your and your growth as writers. Well, my worst writing advice was to write for two. Write every day when you wake up. Oh, no, 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 you can't do that. No, and I don't write that way. And that was, but I tried it and I felt like I wasn't a writer because I couldn't do it. But some How do you do write? That. Oh, I'm sorry. No, some people like, do that. Some people do do that, that's fine. But to, to say- To be that prescriptive. Yeah. yeah. Right, well, how do you write? We actually have kind of similar, but then they, then they digress. Slow waker uppers. Right. Coffee, newspaper. Right. Then we have to do the New York Times spelling bee. Do you do that, Caroline? No, you do the spelling bee? That's so I great. Love it. <laughs> I'm a terrible speller. <laughs> okay, well, we spend too much time on this in the morning. Uh, we do that. And then Michael goes right to work after the spelling bee. I still dilly-dally a little, and I usually work from about 11 to 1 or 2. In bed, flat on her back. With, uh, wow. On her, yeah. on a pillow. Yeah. And you can write like that? She goes like this, oh, but it's checking. <gasps> yeah, I never learned yeah. how to type. So I'm. You never learned how to type. No. Well, it seems to be working for you. You don't <laughs> write like that, though, do you, Michael? No, no, I, I sit at a desk. You sit at a desk, and you're, so when you're writing. So when you're writing a cookbook, is it? Do you have all the recipes you know? Have you tried out all the stuff you're cooking first? And then you sit down and you write about it and you write the recipe, or does it question. come at the same time? That's a good question. I'm a good question. totally curious about how that's done. Well, um, in, in, there's a mix of both. There's certain things I know I want to write about. Like in From Scratch, I wanted to write about a roast chicken. But I thought, what about all the other things you can do with the roast chicken? Which required me to um, invent some recipes that, that you could either use leftover roast chicken with or uh, like the chicken pot pie and start working on chicken pot pies. Or stock. Um, stock you know, or, you know, or making stock. Um, and like the stuffies, I made up the stuffy. I, I just said, I need to make stuffies. I study various ref, uh, recipes. I know what I like and how I like to eat and what I think is best. And I make that and they put onions in those goddamn stuffies <laughs> and they're yes. better for it. That's why yes, I had the onions extra, go in the stuffies but well. only so much. <laughs> um, but that was a completely made up recipe. Um, yeah. It's always based on what's come before you. All of cooking and cooking knowledge comes from the people who preceded you. It's great eating with him because he, he tries to figure out what the tastes are. I was just gonna, that was my next question, yeah. which is I know that with write, with you know people, and you probably do this too writing fiction, Michael, but for fiction writers, we're always eavesdropping and looking at people Absolutely. and imagining their lives. Do you do that with food dishes? Oh, that's interesting. I, I certainly do it with me. people. I mean, when Anna and I waited at Amtrak station or Penn station, <laughs> we make up stories about people and- Oh yeah, we do that all the time. Listen yeah. in on when we're eating at a restaurant, listen in and try to figure out now, what is their relationship? Yeah. That older man I, and that younger woman, right, she's right, right, or right. daughter, but she's clearly <laughs> right, to be yeah, his. Yeah. Right, uh, or that guy is wearing orange plaid because he's sure that tonight is going to be the night he'll pick somebody up. <laughs> <that> exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's hard to do that with food. Um, I don't make up stories about the food, but I do, you know, you're always thinking about new ideas or new combinations, or I never thought to do that or how interesting. 
And you just told me about a new stew that you came up with in Spelling Bee, a Jamaican <laughs> stew that I'd never heard of. What That's stew is that? Callaloo. 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 You have to do wow. the spelling bee. I know you're not, you say you're not a good speller, but it's-, it's Oh, more. I can't- <laughs> it's I'm the one who gets there and there mixed right. up. Everybody listening on Facebook you Live, you have to do this. <laughs> Okay, I will. Um, so I wanted, to, as I pass on that, yeah, um, convincingly. What's it like at home? I mean, like during the pandemic, are, are you both cooking at the same time? And it sounds like you're writing at the same time, or do you switch off? And how is it different than before the pandemic? And are are you is your thought process differently because of the pandemic? Well, I was re I was really interested in these questions um, when the pandemic first started. How yeah. has it changed your writing life? Everyone, I was asking all my writer friends. Yeah. Um, and I, of course it has. And um, as far as cooking goes, we we just we cook a lot more. We used to go out to restaurants right. all the time, and we don't do that anymore. And when we make when we have, it's usually one person does dinner and the other person doesn't. We don't cook together in the kitchen. Well. Okay. <laughs> After the onion fiasco, the onion. <laughs> of stock, as it's called. Yeah. I love that. Are you craving? Are you doing more comfort foods? Do you feel more like that? We always do comfort foods. Why would, you not, why would you ever not do comfort foods? Yeah, you know what? That's what I really like about your philosophy. Where I, I think it was in um, your latest book, you said something about you shouldn't be thinking about your food as healthy. You should be thinking about it as nutritious. And I, when I look at your meals, one of the things I love is that. You would, I don't think either of you, the kind of person would say, I'm not going to have all this high cholesterol cheese on this nope. um, because cheese is delicious. <laughs> you know, yeah, we don't go that you way. Eat, okay, good. I'm glad to hear that. But, but, we, oh, but we do sit down either at the beginning of the week or midweek or something and say, okay, what does it look like? Who's going to do what? And sometimes we break up the components. Like, sure. I'll yeah. do the pasta or I'll do the vegetables. Yeah, or just salad. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that brings me another question to like approach. So Anne, when you write your novels, do you have any sort of, I don't want to call it a recipe, but like a synopsis or do you plan it out or do you improvise? And is it, would you say it's like the way Michael cooks or is it different? <laughs> like the way Michael cooks. Ah. No, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not. No, I'm very, I have a, a real system that I do. What is uh, it? So I decide on my container how much time the novel is going to cover because I really feel like knowing how much time you're going to cover in a novel really helps. Yeah. Uh, you control backstory and control digressions. And I guess I'm a control freak. This is clear yes. from the onions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I make, I don't call it a synopsis, but it is, you know, it, it, it's it. like, I think I get the idea of it. It's, yeah. I just kind of generally say what's going to happen when knowing that that can all go to hell in a minute and I'll be good with that. Right. But I need to start feeling like I have a plan and yeah. that's where Michael and I are like, is we both are planners in yeah. life and in work. That's interesting. I, I was going to ask another question, but I want to hear you talk more about in life and in work plans. Like, what do yeah. you mean by that? I know what I'm going to be doing this week and the next week. I know what I'm going to be doing today and what hours I'm going to be doing them, or I try to anyways. Of course, things yeah. happen. Why? Why? Yeah. To, to control, because we only have so much time and there's so much to do. Okay. And it makes you more efficient. I'm all about efficiency. She's less about efficiency in the way I am. She's got her own her own methods. 
uh, that are different from mine. For instance, I, you know, I, I will, I want to work for a good solid three hours in the morning. I want to take a break and I want to spend a, at least two or three hours in the evening or afternoon also working. Um, and I want to do that every day. And I want to have, I want to produce a certain amount of words. When I'm working on a book, I, will, I okay. want to have at least a thousand words a day. She is not like that at all. No. Well, <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> Let's go for a walk. Relax. Whatever. I have relaxed a little bit, actually. I have relaxed a little. It's been good. I think it's That's good. good. That's good. That's <laughs> good. So, so if you were going to have your perfect meal for both of you, that you both would consider your perfect meal from the cocktail to the salad to the main dish to the dessert, what would it be? I have two answers. Where do you start? Well, we... Our perfect meal has been um, in uh, Northern California at lunch with two or three bottles of rosé and how many? Uh, uh, 54 oysters. 54 raw oysters. It was our perfect meal. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and what about dessert? <laughs> we don't do dessert. Oh, you don't do dessert? Uh, whiskey and chocolate is the perfect yeah, dessert. Yeah, we have whiskey and a piece of chocolate, if we even have the chocolate. Wow. So you don't have sweet tooths or do you have yes. salt tooth? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, it's usually so one or the other. Yeah. 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 I go for the pretzels. When yeah. I can get what them. I would do to, to make a perfect meal for Ams, what I'd want to do is I'd want to have a fixer a whiskey sour, which would include an egg white. That's my favorite Um egg white, simple syrup, lemon lime juice, uh, and whiskey. Um and, and the egg white. And the egg white. Yep. Um, and then I would uh, make her a, a pork chop and I'd do my best to make um, roasted peppers. Yeah. Uh, and then I'd have some sort of um, roasted potatoes with those. Or if I was feeling really, really risky, I tried to do a carbonara with that to really impress her because that's her favorite. Carbonara <laughs> is my favorite food. Yeah, carbonara. And she makes the best carbonara. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so what mistakes do you think writers make and what mistakes do you think home cooks make and do you think that cooking and writing are just sort of different languages for the same kind of creativity no i think they're the same language don't you? it's interesting i've never really quite thought about it so directly but um yeah i mean in what's different is in when you make a mistake in cooking you can usually eat it and enjoy it when you make a mistake in writing you have to throw it out there's so much that you throw yeah, out in, yeah. in writing and must, and that's part of the process. Right, right. But there, is, there should be no prescription about how you must do things that you cannot use second person, that you, you know, right. have to do change times, can't or, change yeah, times or a point of view. Right. You can do whatever you want if you know the rules, and the rules are fundamental, and as they are in cooking, when you know the fundamentals, the basics of cooking, um, how to saute, how to braise, how to make a stock. Then you can vary from the um, uh, from the recipe and and cook intuitively. Uh, when you know the rules of writing, when you know the rules of language and how language works, then you can improvise. But you have to learn the rules first. You learn have to learn the basic craft first. It's like knitting, like knitting. Yeah, but no, you know what? That's an interesting thing because actually, I stopped knitting for like. I don't know, like 20 years um, after first marriage. And then I tried to yeah, I tried to knit again and I just couldn't do it. And then I thought I'm gonna start really simple and go back to the basics. And I finally just fed my soul, which I think 
cooking and writing do. So I wanted to ask you both, like, how did you, did you both know that you were going to be writers and have something to do with food when you were little? Not you did. Food, no, though I was a, um, my parents both worked, so I was, and I was an only child, so I was home after school and alone a lot. And if I wanted to eat anything other than a pop tart or something to heat, I had to make it myself. And I sort of taught myself how to cook, and I liked it. Wow. I mean, the first thing I made was like a potato omelet, a potato uh, frittata. frittata. Um, and I thought, wow, this was fun to make. It's delicious. And I feel much better after having eaten it than I do how with all those pop parts. How did you know how to make that as a kid? That potatoes and eggs Julia would be good? Child. Julia Child. And there was a home ec program wow. in, the, in, in fourth grade. So I started in fourth grade about the same time I started writing. Um, and they're, so for me, they're somehow connected. connected. And I've written, okay. ever, I've written most days ever since fifth grade, since the summer of fifth but grade. You, I may, I'm going to make you tell the wonderful story about, was it a pear tart that Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Tell the story. Tell the story. I was watching Julia Child, and I was in fifth. Like 10. I was in fifth grade. It was 1972, <laughs> 1973, um, and it was February, of course, in Cleveland. In February, there's uh, no fresh fruits back in the 70s. But we had some. I saw Julia make an apple pie, and I thought she made it seem so easy. You know, she made it seem so accessible, and that like you could do it too. So even this fifth grader thought, "Wow." I can do that. That was right. Julian's That's gift. That's amazing. That was Julian's yeah. gift. I went into my kitchen. We didn't have any apples. <laughs> I think I didn't even find a pie plate, but I found, we found some canned pears, fruit. <laughs> she probably said you can do this with any fruit. Um, and I made a crust and I made a little tart, a pear tart. And um, it tasted horrible. It was, it was terrible. But I'd made it. When my dad got home from work. He was an ad advertising guy. He got home at six o'clock with his briefcase, set it down. I said, look what I made. I made a pear tart. And he looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my head. I was like, you what? I said, I made a pear tart. He said, that's amazing. And he praised that's, me. That's good it. that he did. That's good yeah. that he did. But you went to culinary school, right? I was a journalist. I thought um, it's 1996 and the whole country is becoming interested in chefs and their work. Why don't I go to the school where they're teaching chefs to be chefs and find out what you need to know in order to be a chef. Um, so I went as a journalist um, wanting to write about uh, food and chefs. Um, but what I didn't realize, what I didn't realize was that um, in order to do that, you had to become a chef. You had to become a real cook. And so I, I, I in the process of writing and reporting of the making of a chef, I became a cook, a real cook. That's incredible. And so, Anne, did you always want to be a writer, or was that just like always? Like, yeah, always, always. always. Did I mean, you take? Did you have lessons? Did people teach no. you? No, I grew up um, in a very small, very depressed and depressing <laughs> mill town in Rhode Island. Um, there were like 350 kids in my graduating high school class. <gasps> That's and all. Oh, 15 boy. went to college. That's the kind of town it was. Wow. Including like a community college. There were uh -huh. 15 of us. So it was not, it, when I told my guidance counselor that I wanted to be a writer, he was like, and people don't do that. And it was years later that I realized he meant people here don't do that. Oh. Because she had said, well, who wrote all those books behind you on that show? Yeah. Right, right. Oh, that's terrible. Don't do that. But he meant people here because they were dealing with teenage pregnancy and homelessness and abuse and like every horrible, I had no idea at the time. I was in my little group of 15 <laughs> friends who we all went off into college and not 
really as aware as we should have been or could have been about the environment in which we were growing up. So, but I decided when I was like seven, I'm going to be a writer. And how did you teach yourself? Just by reading? I mean, how did you write somewhere off the coast of Maine? How did you know how to structure that? Oh, this is a good story, though. Oh, about the entire thing. Yeah. um, So I didn't know. And I was writing blindly. I would read a book and I would write in the margins, like start with action. Um, Oh, backstory doesn't happen for 30 pages or a chapter. I just like figuring it out myself, deconstructing stuff. And I was stuck on somewhere off the coast of Maine, which I wrote as um, interconnected short stories, went to Breadloaf and the wonderful Nick Del Banco told me, no, 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 it's a novel. Go home and write it because it's going to be published. He's also one of Gail's clients, Caroline. So I said, okay. Wow. So I went and tried to make it a novel and it sold with only 70 pages written. Oh my God, that's unheard of. But I did not know how to turn it into a novel. My wonderful editor, Deb Futter, at that time, believed I could, so I believed it. But there was a point where I was like, I, I have to give this money back. Like, I can't do this. <laughs> I took a long walk from my Bleecker Street apartment to the Spring Street bookstore in Soho in, in Manhattan. And I just looked at books because I was gearing myself to say, I have to give the money back. And I saw this book and it was called um, Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant by Ann Tyler. Right. And right. it just appealed to me and I took it. I said, I'm going to just go and I'm going to read this. I'm going to have like a lot of white wine. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to call Deb Futter and tell her, here's your money. I can't make this novel. I stayed up and read that book straight through, woke up in the morning and said, I know how to fix my book. And I figured out a structure. It just came out of me. Many, many years later, recently, actually, I learned that Ann Tyler had written that as connected short stories. And Robert Gottlieb. That's said, so interesting. Said it's a Over, novel. It was a novel and it's helped novel. her restructure it. And it's like, that was the perfect book I needed to read to, to figure out how to write my book. And it, oh. it fell into my, I mean, it's crazy. So what was it like taking your career onward from that? I mean, to, when you approached your second book, did you think, oh my God, I have to do it again? No, or no, no, did you I, think like, oh, I can do this? No, I was so excited because you have to know that I went very quickly from asking people, would you like chicken or beef? <laughs> for people asking me, how did you write your novel? All and right, I'm like, okay. wait a minute, I don't know. I was <laughs> just like on a 747 a few months ago serving people. And a TWA flight attendant. Yeah, TWA wow. flight attendant. So I just, um, I was just so grateful and delighted to be doing it. I had no fear, no fear that's amazing that's amazing what a career you've had it's it's amazing it's like there's nothing you can't do and there's nothing you can't do in terms of cooking it seems too it's just um this is a we have to start winding up so I always wait I have to ask I have to ask one more question okay which question do you think I should have asked you that I didn't ask you oh geez I don't like that question. You don't like that question? <laughs> Would you answer that question, Ann? <laughs> uh, well, let me ask. Oh, I have a question. I, okay, I have, an, I have one more question. I actually have one more question because, Ann, you teach. And I always want to know that, do you find that when you're working with other writers that it helps your own writing? Or do you sometimes feel like you wish you weren't? because you want all the time. I think it absolutely helps. 
Absolutely. Well, you know, I've never taught full time. And I think if I did, I might have the other feeling of like, right. I, to write. I, I teach so little or not little, but sporadically or little lumps, you know, um, I hear myself telling students something and I'm like, do it yourself. Go fix your book. Like that's what's wrong. You didn't do that. I mean, I, that happens to me all the time. Yeah, I just feel smart sometimes. I like that feeling of feeling smart when you look at somebody's work and you think, of course, I know exactly yeah. what they're supposed to do. When you yeah. look at your own, you think, oh my God, I don't. I know, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, so Tom, I know Tom wants a, a cocktail recipe from you before we sign off. So ah. tell us what the perfect, can you create a Mighty Blaze cocktail for us? Ooh. Well, I, 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 do a, I do a Friday cocktail hour, uh, cocktail every Friday, and I post it on Facebook and Instagram and, um, and on my site. And today's is the beachcomber because it's still summer and it's rum. And we're at the beach. And we're at the beach. Uh, and it was created either by Don the beachcomber or by Trader Vic's, uh, Trader Vic trying to copy uh, uh, or play off uh, uh, Don the beachcomber's popularity. And it's kind of like a rum margarita, only with a dash of maraschino liqueur. So mm. the, the Friday cocktail hour today is a beachcomber, which is two ounces of light rum, three quarter ounces of lime, fresh lime juice three-quarter ounces of curacao or triple sec. Um, that's kind of, that's, that's basically a margarita right there. Yeah. Uh, there's a little simple syrup to uh, sweeten it up. And there is a flare of Luxardo, the maraschino liqueur. Mm. It has this, um, I don't know, the, the je ne sais quoi element the, <laughs> that makes it a, a completely unique cocktail, even though it's kind of based on the, mar uh, the margarita uh, model. So uh, the beachcomber is today's Friday cocktail. I Excellent. highly recommend getting little plastic mermaids as we have that silver <laughs> glass. Yes, and make a Mai Tai too. That we came, this led from, from a Mai Tai, which both of them are under, undervalued cocktails. And I urge you to have a look at them. <laughs> that, well, I think all people listening to this and every Mighty Blaze people are going to make this cocktail tonight. <laughs> and uh, thank you both so much. This was so much fun. Thank you for joining us. I'm Trisha Blanchett for a Mighty Blaze podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review so other book lovers can find us. We'll see you next time for a conversation with two incredible authors, Angie Cruz and Jennifer DeLeon. Until then, keep your blaze burning and your pages turning. 